Hello, uh, this is Pastor Paul, and I'm here with Mara. Good morning. And we're um, going to talk about scriptures for this week and do it a little bit different. Instead of doing a sermon, we're going to um, just kind of talk about scriptures and talk about um, what we can learn and what we can apply to our lives. So it's a little bit different. And so Mara's in the same scriptures. What are we talking about, Mara? This week we're talking about three parables, and they kind of come in rapid fire, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, which we often call the prodigal son. Awesome. And, and so we, we've been dealing with parables of Jesus for the past few weeks, and uh, of course we'll have a couple more weeks of dealing with parables of Jesus. And uh, the, these parables talk about searching. When, when I talk about, think about searching, I always think about a time when when Dylan was about three or four years old, we were in the Dick's Sporting Goods, and, and, and he was with us, and then he was gone, and Terry and I frantically searched for him for about 15 or 20 minutes, and we're about ready to panic and call 911 and get everybody involved, and, and Dylan popped out of a tent and said, surprise, and so it was one of those uh, good searching stories, and so are we, we have good searching stories. We have bad searching stories as well, things that we, we don't find that we wish we could find. And Jesus is giving three parables dealing with searching. And he gives these parables in response to a, a statement or an attitude of the Pharisees. Uh, we find this in Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Uh, the, these Three parables then are all in response to this very simple statement, and, and I believe this reflects an attitude that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus in, in these parables is talking about searching for people. He's talking about the value of people. Uh, the, the religious insiders all said these people were unworthy. And Jesus is declaring that they're worthy and they're worth searching for. And so in these parables, he talks about how valuable people are. So Mara, why don't you break these passages down for us and, and give us your thoughts? Sure, sure. As we kind of look through this, um, this week with the kids, this big idea kind of comes up over and over again that God will never stop loving me. We think about that song, Reckless Love. He chases me down, fights till I'm found. Like that is the... Um, experience we want our kids to have of God. That's the thoughts and the ideas we want him to have, them to have about him. Um, sometimes at night we lay down with our kids before they go to bed and we kind of go through this, oh, this um, monologue with them. It's like, well, um, could you ever do anything to love, to make me love you more? And the kids say no. Well, could you ever do anything that would make me love you less? And our kids say no. And then we kind of lead them a little bit deeper and well, who else loves you like that? Who loves you even more than I ever could? And leading into that same idea that you can also never do anything that makes God love you more, and you can never do anything to make him love you less. And I think Jesus is trying to really hammer this idea into um, these parables. Which, remember, a parable is just a story that has a deeper meaning, a hidden meaning about God or about the kingdom of can heaven. I, can I interject just to say, yeah. that's, a, that's an awesome thing. You do that every night with the kids? Kind of like a ritual with them? Right. I can't say it's every night, but definitely often enough that our kids, yes, they, they know the ritual. They know what to say. <laughs> they know what to say next. They know when it's coming. That, that's, a, that's what we would call a family liturgy 
and uh, that's a that's a good thing to to interject or include in your home those things that you do over and over. Sometimes I think we we devalue these things we do over and over, but but I think that builds a culture. It's a culture of blessing, and and it's a liturgy. That's 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 awesome. So, like uh, Paul said, this is kind of coming in response to that thing. You can almost imagine these. Pharisees kind of muttering this under their breath to each other, but also making sure that everyone around them can hear that this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's that word sinner. I mean, they're using that in judgment. They are using that in a separation like these people. Yes, they are unworthy of this position that he's giving. So Jesus immediately in response to that, I think he takes that word sinner and he goes, hey, that's a, that's, that's a negative. Like you're using that in judgment. I'm gonna, I want you to think about these people as being lost. I want you to have compassion. I want that to stir inside of you. So he starts with this story. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's the first part here. He talks about how this one sheep is valuable enough that, that the shepherd is willing to leave the 99. There's a, almost an element of recklessness here. He leaves the 99. He hopes like they're safe. He's got them where they need to be. And he is willing to go anywhere looking for this one sheep. Now, in their society, in their economy, like, yes, sheep have a lot of value. So they're all willing to, they're probably nodding along. Like, of course, yeah, one of my sheep goes lost. I'm going after that. There's no, no reason not to. He takes this a bit further, and he goes, okay. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. And he repeats it again. He says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in both of these, we have something that was lost, an item, a possession, and we see that there is a, an investment of effort and time into locating that item. I don't know if you've ever had lost toys around your house. That seems to be an everyday occurrence here. But like, how motivated are we when those toys go lost to find them? How long are we willing to search for? What lengths do we go to? Are we turning our rooms inside out? I think it depends on what's missing. In our home, it's lost car keys and wallets that we're constantly in search of. Yeah, there's been times when the item that's been missing, going back to Christmas, Emerson was going to go Christmas shopping with Ryan, and he had gotten money out of his piggy bank, and he thought he put it in his wallet. This money ended up kind of just going missing in our house. And we, we looked for it. We did our due diligence. Okay, check under your bed, check under here, check it. But at some point, we did. We just kind of gave up the search. We're, and looking back on that, I'm thinking, you know what? That's because the amount of money, like that thing, like we deemed it as replaceable. We were going to be able to go and it was going to be nothing for us to just put the money back in his piggy bank. It's not, it, it, it wasn't going to be the end of the world. But then I think back to other times when we had little babies and they had a special animal to sleep with. And if that animal was not in their crib at bedtime, you better believe we were ransacking our house. We were, all the lights were on. We're moving furniture. I mean, we're going places that there's no way this animal or toy possibly could be just in the hopes that it might turn up. When, when Wyatt was little, we had a, they had toys at McDonald's, of course, and it was the Lion King. 
And I drove all over Butler County in, in southwest Ohio to try to find a Simba because no one had it. So, so I understand. I can remember searching for kids' toys. Yes, that's what I'm kind of thinking. I'm like, our motivation to find something is directly related to whether or not we see that thing as being replaceable. The things in our lives that are irreplaceable, when they go missing, I mean, it, you just your heart drops and you just are willing to do anything to find it. Other times it's like, well, yeah, I'm sorry, your Legos are your Legos missing. Can you find something else to play with? So here's where I'm like, they can understand this. They can think about a lost sheet. They can think about a lost coin. Of course, they are motivated just in the, the monetary value of those things to find them. And here's where Jesus kind of changes the gears a little. Um, he switches the story up. This is kind of the big reveal. He's like, hey, I'm really not talking about items or things that you can lose and find. I'm talking about people. People we can't assign a monetary value to, but they are just as irreplaceable as that lost sheep, as that lost coin. And so he goes into this parable of a prodigal son, um, a son who decides, hey, I would like my inheritance now versus waiting until it's given to him after his father passes. He takes that money. We don't know how much it is, but we assume that it's enough that he has gone and lived it up. For, for a while. He has bought everything he ever wanted. He has done everything he ever wanted. But at the end of the day, the money runs out, and so does his uh, high quality of, of living. And he finds himself having to do some of the most shameful things that you can imagine in, in their culture. And I was reading somewhere um, this week that this was often a story that was told to kind of remind people of the importance of following the rules, of living by the standards of the day. You don't want to turn out like this person. So this was almost told in a, a different way, almost like a fable. You don't want to turn out like this person who has wasted everything, who has just shamed himself and his family. And when Jesus tells this, I'm sure they're kind of thinking, I've heard this story, I've heard this story. And then he kind of changes the script on them. And that this son, when he is at the bottom of the bottom, he turns back, comes home to his father with really no expectations of anything other than being a servant. Like he knows that he has lost his, he has given up his position in the family. He has lost that. But he knows that his father takes care of even his servants and that he would be better off being there as a servant than living where he is right now. And so he starts to walk home. And I think it's amazing that we almost kind of skip over this and we think, oh, the father runs to him. Well, of course you'd run to him. He's been missing. But what we miss is that in this day, the idea of a grown man running would have been completely embarrassing. Like, so we think we see runners all the time, but like in this society, in their culture, for you to do that would be to, to embarrass yourself in public. This man did this very publicly and he yet is willing to take on that embarrassment almost to shield his son. Uh, his son coming home would have been even, I mean, this would be the end of the shame here. Like, this is the most shameful thing he can do to even show his face back here again. His community would have been ready to basically cut him off. But his father running to him, embracing him, he, it totally shut down. It shut down that idea that they could cut him off because if this father is willing to bring him back in, nobody else can have a say in this matter. Not even his older brother who tries to, to at this point, he's like, hey, wait a minute, I've been here, he left. Look at all these things you're doing for him. And 
the father at the very end, this is verse 31, he says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the father is willing to take on all the shame, all the embarrassment for the joy of having his son back. That's awesome. I've heard in the past that, that in essence what this son said to the father was, I wish you were dead. Just give me my money and let me go. And yet we find the father, and I like how you, you put that, taking on the, the son's embarrassment, the son's shame. And in this shame-based culture, that's a big thing, that, that to deal with the shame of, of failure, the shame of. And not, not only did he, did he insult his, his family, but ultimately he failed in making a life with all the money that he had. He has to come back uh, hat in hand and, and beg for just a place as a servant, which, of course, the father makes him a son. What, what are your big takeaways? What, what would you want families to make sure their kids understand from these parables? I was, I'm, as I read these, I just kind of keep going back to the idea about like when things are irreplaceable, we are motivated to find them. This, this man who lost a sheep, there was no other sheep that was going to take the place of that. He wanted that sheep. The woman who lost a coin, it wasn't about her going out and making more money. She wanted her coin. And this, this father, he didn't want another son. He wanted his son. There was no one else that is like you. Each person is irreplaceable. Each person is unique. So God sees us all as that irreplaceable thing that he is motivated and that he pursues. At times, almost we think recklessly. I mean, he is just willing to do anything for us and to, to pursue us. That's, that's awesome. You know, I, I think one thing that you have to ask yourself in, when you read this parable, as, as it's res, these parables are a response to a question, why did Jesus eat with sinners? And I think the, the first and easiest answer to that is because sinners wanted to eat with Jesus, that they were willing to be with him. And, and it says something about Jesus, that those that were often on the outside, he made insiders. And I think it's important that we talk about what, what, what is a what, what's it mean when they're saying sinners? And, and these are people that couldn't meet their expectations, that they're religious peoples, the insiders' expectations. Maybe they tried and failed. Maybe, maybe they had bad upbringing. Maybe, maybe they had wrong circumstances. Maybe they've made wrong choices. But, but a lot of it was changing standards. When, when Wyatt was a little guy, he could ride every ride at Kings Island when he was like six. And so he's riding the Beast and the Son of Beast and all those big rides. And we came back the next year, and they had increased the standard. And he had to go back to Kitty Land. In a lot of ways, that's what you see in, in this culture is when, when people would begin to rise to the standard of the religious leaders, they would just up it just a little bit to keep them on the outside looking in. Right, and sometimes I kind of almost look at that and I see that you can see like some insecurity in the religious leaders kind of seeping out in these things. They wanted so badly to be different and to be elevated and to be seen as religious leaders, as authorities, almost to the point where they got, yeah, they felt insecure if anyone, if they felt like anyone else was approaching their level of what they considered righteous. They, they needed to find one more thing, one more hoop, one more thing that people could do but it was never going to be that they could ever attain it. It's, it's a, a control thing. Absolutely. That, that we like to have control. I think in this setting, as we're, we're doing this podcast, instead of gathering on, on, on a Sunday morning, 
I think this is one of those circumstances where we don't have control. And uh, it's, it's hard for us not to have control. And uh, we, we have to rely on our faith more in times where we don't have control. And uh, they didn't want to rely on their faith. They just wanted to control circumstances. And so, yeah, they, they, they upped the standard. And, and Jesus is saying God ultimately determines value and all people matter to God. Everyone deserves a chance. And he's directing this, these parables, not to the sinners eating with him, although I think it has application to them, but he's directing this to religious people, good people. These were people that you would want to spend time with. They, they, they were the, the upstanding citizens of the day. Uh, they, they weren't rotten people. They, they were people you'd invite to your house. And, and, and Jesus is saying you need to change your attitude towards people and see people in a different way. Um, God's desire is that we be his hands and feet, and we embrace others with him. And, and as, as people want to experience him, as people seek him, um, we, we allow them to, um, to participate with us. But not only that, we're, we're willing to go on a search and, and sometimes do what seems reckless uh, because people matter to God. Uh, interesting, Marty, you notice in verse 30, the elder son who represents the religious people said, when this son of yours who has squandered your property, do you ever do that with your kids when, when they're bad? Do you ever, you ever say they're Ryan's kids instead of your kids? Not, maybe not so much when they're, when they're bad or when they misbehave. It's almost more of a joke. They'll do something that is just me or Ryan just in the flesh, and you just look at it and you're like, oh, that is your son. You will never believe what your son did today. Uh, yeah, so it is kind of that interesting thing where it's like, well, of course he's my son too, but like there are times when it's like, no, that is your son. There, there, there's a, all, all of us have done that from time to time. And, and I, I think there's a, we do it jokingly and sometimes maybe we do it seriously. Uh, but, but there's a question of responsibility here. Uh, we're, we're responsible. Uh, and uh, they, they don't, he did, the older brother, the religious people didn't want to be responsible for those. Uh, the, the prodigal son, they didn't want to be responsible for the, the people that they considered sinners. Uh, but, but Jesus is saying you are responsible, that, that you belong to them, that, that this isn't my son because Jesus responds, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, uh, this isn't my son, this is your brother. And so um, as I thought about that, I think there's a, an attitude shift that we need to have with regard to people. Um, you know, we, we, we sometimes see people as targets or projects or, you know, may, maybe even we use the phrase sinners with regard to people that maybe we think haven't got everything together yet. But, but I don't believe God puts that kind of label on people. Um, but many of you know that Terry's father passed away um, Friday and he went really peacefully. We're glad for that. And we, we, we do believe at times there's mercy in death and, uh, and that we have hope because of what Christ has done in his life. But as I, as I saw Jim go and I thought and I could, I could pray a prayer uh, of hope because I know the commitment they had made to Christ um, probably close to 20 years ago now. And, and that commitment was because of a pastor, Brother Hiley, who was at our services not too long ago. And, and Brother Hiley, the, the thing I appreciate about Pastor Hiley was he didn't see Jim as a project. He didn't see him as a target, but it was his brother and his friend. And they vacationed and they ate together. And it was through that relationship that Jim felt um, comfortable enough to let go of his pride. And, and as a prodigal, 
return to the father uh, because Jim was definitely a prodigal. And so uh, uh, I, I think that's an important thing. Yeah, no, I think that's so interesting because it is so tempting sometimes we think about, oh, this person is yeah, kind of, kind of my project or I'm really, but when we just are willing to look at everyone and extend the compassion and love that Jesus did, it, it's just so different than if we are targeting them and trying to, trying to bring them to church, trying to do this. If we are just loving them, though, that communicates a different type of value to them. Now, now you have, I know Hannah, then you have a sister, another sister. I do. I have an older sister, and I have two younger sisters and a younger brother. So there's five of us all together. Wow. I didn't realize you had that many. Yeah. So, so I have three brothers and a sister, and, and the, the truth is they all matter to me. They, they matter to me not because they're my parents' kids, <laughs> but because they're my brothers and my sister. And, uh, and, and so I'd do almost anything uh, for my siblings, and, and, you know, I want to be there for them. And, and I think when we look at this parable, particularly this last parable, the question is, what would happen if you began to see people in that way, as brothers, as family, as sister? Uh, when, when Terry and I moved into this home on Trophy, the, the person that lived right next to me, uh, Zach's brother lived two doors down, and they, they were both married with little kids, and, and I loved to watch the brothers interact. It was so cool. They were just two houses apart, and they, they great young men, friendly young guys. One of them worked at Honda. One of them was a IT guy, and and they moved about two years ago, and I miss them. But they would grill out constantly together. Their kids played together. They were constantly riding their bikes uh, with the kids up and down the street, and 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 they were just so close. And and Mara, you was talking about a neighbor that you have. That's uh... oh yeah, my neighbor behind me. I feel like in the years we've lived there, it's morphed from oh this is my neighbor to this is my friend. I mean, at this point, we are almost. I mean, like we joke and call each other like our chosen sisters. Like we just we're together so often. Our backyards. Um, butt up against each other. They have dogs, I have kids, and they just all kind of go together. It's nothing to see my one of my kids wander in their back door to like go say hi to her husband. And like, we, I just love the relationship that we have built there because I mean, she knows that she can count on me for eggs, flour, whatever. Even if I'm not home, she, she can let herself in and she can get it. And it's the same um, for me with her. And I just yeah love that community. And we don't have expectations of each other. Like, it's not like we are doing this to earn points towards anything. It's because we just, we love each other and we love being together. That's awesome. You know, I, I think about this parable and this ideal of, of people being our brothers or our sisters. And, and we, we, we just finished in, in the spring this campaign, Love You See and Love Your Neighbor as Yourself. And the question that came to me, what, what would it be like if your brother or sister lived right next door to you. Now, now some of you would say, oh, no. <laughs> uh, but, but many of us would say, oh, that, that would be awesome, you know, if our brother and sister, you know, how, how easy it would be just to do different things and be there and know and pray for and get to know them and, and just spend time with them. Uh, this parable tells me that my brother and my sister do live next door to me because that's how God sees them. And since God assigns value and God is, God's right 100% of the time, then I, I hope this parable will challenge you and will challenge me to see my neighbors in a, in a new light. Now, of course, this podcast is a, a response to the coronavirus. Uh, this canceling of church, I want you to understand it. It's, it's, it's not done out of fear. It, it really isn't. In, in fact, probably I have to overcome more fear to cancel services 
than just have services uh, be, because we have to worry uh, just just practically about finances, about connection, about all the things. It's a lot easier uh, just to, to, to get you folks all in here and, and just preach a sermon and Mara to teach her lessons. Matter of fact, Mara, you just talking about the difficulty of teaching without the kids. Yes, I know. It honestly, it is, it's hard to even think that I won't, yeah, get to see all of them this week because uh, Paul asked me about my outline or my preparation and I told him, you know what, honestly, so often I go into our lessons and our time together just with this open um, response to wherever the kids are going with this. Like, I want to hear how these passages are kind of hitting their hearts, where they want to go. I said, so I don't always have an end goal for our discussion. So it is totally different to talk to you this way and not be able to get that response. It's, it's actually much more difficult. And, and on top of that, then we had to figure out technically how to do this. And Josh is sick. And so we, we, we're praying for Josh it's that, yes. that it's not serious. But uh, so we had to figure out how to, to get the sound to work. And hopefully this this ends up working out okay. So, so the cancellation's not out of fear, but but we see this as an opportunity. Uh, it's an opportunity to really be Jesus in our neighborhoods. Um, I, I've been seeing all sorts of great posts on how people can help on Facebook, how they can help through this crisis. I've seen people saying, "Hey, listen, if you need a meal, contact me. If you if you need someone to watch your kids because you got to work and." and they're off school, if you need a ride to the grocery store, if, if you need someone to take you to the pharmacy or you need me to pick, you, pick up some, some, from, some drugs from the pharmacy for you, let me know. And, and so I, I think that's a great response, and I think it's an opportunity for us. Yeah, and let's be honest, that kind of response in a world where people are fighting over milk and ransacking grocery stores, this kind of response almost seems reckless. I mean, at times it almost seems like we're willing to expose ourselves to other people. We're willing to continue those connections and to be out there at a time when so many people are just so scared and just want to isolate and quarantine themselves. So we're doing it with consideration, with care, with precaution, but some people may feel like this actually looks like reckless love, and isn't that what we should look like? Right. I'm glad you remind me of that. We are selling toilet paper at the church for $15 a roll <laughs> oh, no. if you need it. Uh, just, just a race of that. I think we, I've got we some hand sanitizer yeah, down on yeah, the shelves. Hand, yeah, so we got hand sanitizer, toilet paper here. Um, it, it's kind of forced us, because church isn't about buildings and just about gatherings, but it's about a people that's been sent. And I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of forced us over this, at least this week, and we'll see what the, the coming weeks hold, not to simply go to church, but be the church. And so that's my encourage, encouragement for, for you, for them this week, to, to take this parable to heart, to see people differently, to, um, to respond not out of fear, but out of love. Uh, to, to see this as an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to see people as your brother and your sister, to, to be willing to go the extra mile to, to care for them, and, and to be the church in your neighborhood, to, to have gatherings in your homes with your kids, to pray with them, um, to, 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 not, to, to say, I don't have to rely upon a church building or a church pastor or church staff, but, but God has given me this great privilege to... to um, to love my kids, to love my family, and maybe open up your home to a neighbor that, that maybe is feeling alone and isolated. Uh, we, we really see this as a great opportunity to, to do those kind of things. Mara, anything additional? 
Um, I just wanted to share. So if after you listen to this, you have not seen yet um, for your kids, I am posting their virtual church services for your kids, um, giving you an opportunity to kind of experience with um, your kids what they do on a Sunday morning. Because honestly, as much as I love to be with them, and I do, I'm also a mom first. And so you as a parent are equipped to disciple your kids. And so I'm going to give you some resources, but know that like your kids doing church with you is a beautiful thing. It's valuable. And I just really encourage you to to really press into that and um, let me know how it goes. So I'm open for um, some suggestions. Well, the parable ends with the older brother outside the celebration with the father with him. And, and there's a tension in that story as it ends. And, and, and the call of the parables is simple. Come in. Respond to your brother. Don't miss the party. Don't miss the party. Um, one final thing. I'm going to pray here in just a second. And, uh, uh, but remember Sunday, uh, President Trump has declared a national day of prayer. And I would encourage you to, to take that to heart. Um, if you have any questions or any any thoughts or anything I can do for you, please feel free to, to send me a text. Our, our phones are still operating, and I'm still around, and uh, we're going to continue to look at some um, different ways to get um, resources to you, and so let, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these parables. Thank you for how you view us, that, that you do not view us as projects or objects, but we're dearly loved children. And as dearly loved children, you invite us to join us in your mission of redemption, to, um, to reach out to others, other children, our brothers and our sisters. I pray now, Lord, for our people. I pray for our country. I pray in this time of, um, of crisis that your will will be done, that your kingdom will come. And Lord, in all these things, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.